Well, hey, you guys can find a way back to your seats. Um, I just wanted to share something before we, I, I get into, um, I guess, the main message this morning, something that I actually shared last night with Worship in the Woods that I just felt God was, I guess, prompting me to share. And I, I just feel that same prompting just listening to um, some of these prayer requests this morning. Um, you know, um, just in, in a very transparent way, there's this process of preparing a message for me that's just very uncomfortable and out of my element. And um, I'm so used to holding a guitar, so I'm probably just going to hold on to this podium the whole time. I don't know if you need a seminary degree to know how to use this or not, Dave. But um, I, um, I, in, in just some of the ways that I, I feel very um, uncomfortable in this, um, I have felt a, a, a tangible movement of God working in my heart in a way that he has not, um, honestly, in a long time. Um, and, and part of it, I think, is because of the way that this is stretching for me and the way that it is uncomfortable. I can look back, I guess, in my life and think about the times and the seasons of my life where um, I guess I'm kind of just coasting in a way. There's nothing really challenging me, um, and, and I feel content, I suppose. I know that's not a bad thing in and of itself. But I think it's in those times, sometimes the enemy just has a way of really sneaking into those spaces and creeping into that time of your life um, and just kind of slowly pulling you away from the Lord and just kind of keeping you trapped a little bit in that, in that maybe apathy at times. And on the flip side, um, there's, this, there's this power and this truth that we see in Scripture that it's when we're, when we're pressed, when we're crushed, when we're tried, when we're going through something that's challenging, um, that when we are made weak, he is strong, right? And I see that in, just in my own life, and it's just kind of simple process of preparing a message that feels kind of stretching, that I, I, I felt just the goodness of God in such a, just a near and dear, um, just closeness to me. Um, and so I just want to encourage those of you this morning that are in that season um, and in a situation right now where you just feel maybe it's pain, maybe it's grief, maybe it's loss, um, God is doing something in that, Right? Um, God is growing something in you, um, and I just believe that there, there is power in that, and that's why Paul says, I delight in my suffering. That's, that's such a hard thing to actually live out and embody, but what he means by that is it's because when we are made weak, when we are broken down, the power of God can infiltrate that space, um, and so I just felt like I wanted to share that this morning, um, and I believe that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Um, for those of you that are maybe just in that spot and you want to go through that today, I think um, maybe God wants to speak to you in that. So um, we're going to just continue in our series um, called Changed. And um, I love how Marta explained last week just the idea of a spiritual practice. Um, it's getting in the path of God. I just I love that image that some of these things, whether we're talking about fasting or meditation or confession, um, it's, it's, it's not, it has nothing to do with our salvation, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit this morning, um, but it's simply being sanctified. It's being changed from the inside out, and it's just getting into that path so that God can mold us and shape us. Um, when I was a youngling, um, I grew up in Redford um, near Detroit, and I just have a very um, just beautiful memory of growing up. Those that know me really well know that I'm just very nostalgic for my childhood, and I just remember this time of innocence, and um, I don't remember, um, you know, the, the exact circumstances around me just accepting Christ, but I was, I was six years old, and I was sitting with my mom on the couch, and I, um, my mom was just talking about heaven and, and talking about this relationship with God, and I remember my mom always says, I said, well, I, I want that, and um, so we prayed together, and, um, you know, so from this very early age, I was just walking with God, and 
Um, I, I truthfully, if I'm being honest, I consider my, my journey of accepting Christ as a young age really a blessing and a curse in certain ways. Um, there's this beauty, and it's even um, it's, it's, it's written in Scripture that there is a, even a desirable thing about a childlike faith. That there's, I remember myself, like, it was almost just so obvious. It was so simple. Like, of course God is real. Of course he loves me. Um, and there's just this beauty in that um, that I, I think about today. I, like, there's parts of me that wish I could go back to that in, in, some, in some areas of my, of my heart and in my mind. Um, and, and at the same time, I think there are some things as, as a child that there's some really just deep, um, almost complex parts of, of faith that I think... I wasn't quite old enough to really understand, and it, and it started to develop some unhealthy patterns for me. And I, I want to talk about one of those things as we talk about confession this week. Um, I don't remember if it was in Sunday school, if it was something that my parents, we talked about, or if I just read this in my Bible at some point, but I specifically remember this verse from 1 John 1, 9 that we're going to look at this morning that says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Um, we probably, you know, most of us would read that this morning, and it's a pretty simple, it's not, it feels like a pretty foundational truth. It, it doesn't, um, there's not many ways you could, you could take that, but this is how my nine-year-old brain interpreted this when I was, when I was a kid. Um, if I go outside today, and I'm struck by a car, and I die, and I haven't yet confessed to God that this morning... Um, I woke up intentionally early so I could eat all the good cereal before my brother woke up, and I haven't confessed that to God, which I did all the time, then I was not going to heaven. Um, because if I re- when I read this as a kid, I, I read this as, if we confess our sins, he will forgive us. And I implied that in a way, like, if we don't confess our sins, then he is not faithful and will not forgive us of our sins. Um, which seems like maybe a, a, kind of a simple misunderstanding, but this, this began in me as, at a young age. Um, something that, that really began to grow is this little seed in my mind that began to kind of develop and grow in a way. I began to be a little obsessive about if I had unconfessed sin. And I would always be thinking about, did I confess this thing that I did? Um, what if I forgot about something that I, that I did? What if there's something I did that sin that I didn't even realize was sin, and so I can't confess it? Um, and the way I, I picture it is like if there's this etch-a-sketch that I'm constantly screwing up and making a mark, I got to keep like shaking it clean to, to keep myself pure. And it was this very transactional daily thing. And I, it was like every time I sin, every time I do something, I need to like, keep shaking it. I got to keep confessing it and try to keep this thing clean. Um, and kind of the end product of that is, is I got a little bit older and I got into my teen years. I think when your faith starts to get tested and pressed in a much different way for the first time in a much bigger way, I think what I began to believe in my heart, even if I couldn't articulate it maybe, was that God's love for me is conditional. And that's kind of maybe how I, I had to, it took me a long time to break that. Um, even though I knew in my head, I was told, I knew in scripture that God's love is unconditional. That was, that's something that we, we kind of talk about a lot as Christians. But I didn't really know that in my heart. And it, it had not really sunk in. And I lived in that way for a long time. Um, in kind of this, this obsessive relationship with God where I was just constantly fearful of, of honestly dying or Jesus coming back and having something that I haven't confessed to him. Um, and actually this week what we, Dave and I talked about is basically um, just bringing somebody to help me 
talk about this with, someone who's um, honestly a little bit older and a little bit wiser, and um, his name's Eric Horst. Many of you know him. He's a, he's a part of Restoration, but he has a very um, specific and really, honestly, really powerful testimony about confession. Um, and I, I actually want to take what he has to say and actually work off of that a little bit this morning. And so he couldn't be here with us this morning. Him and his wife are traveling, but we actually recorded um, him just talking about confession and what it means to him. And so we're actually going to watch that right now, and then I'm going to pick up on some of these ideas. And, and I just want to say, um, in recording this and, and being a part of this, it is a little bit going to be like drinking from a fire hose, because it's just kind of rapid fire scripture. It's, it's pretty awesome, but you kind of got to really um, pay attention, I suppose, um, a little in, uh, intentionally. So um, let's take a look at this, and then I'm, I'm going to pick up on some of this. But uh, this is Eric Horse for those that, that maybe don't know him. Good morning, Restoration Church. Uh, Eric here, and I'm honored to be here this morning. Sorry that Charmaine and I can't be with you all in person. Uh, Pastor Dave asked me to spend a few minutes talking to everyone about the topic of confession of sins. And uh, before I do that, I want to just spend a couple of minutes um, kind of laying some preliminary truths out uh, from God's word um, that will kind of set the stage for the topic of confession of sins. And uh, the first idea I want to talk about is uh, what does God say his purpose is in creating mankind? In other words, what is the chief end to man? And the Bible makes it clear that the chief end to man is to, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever in this blessed love relationship through Jesus Christ by the, the Holy Spirit. And so that begs the question, how do we glorify God? And Jesus says in Luke 10:27 that we're to love God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love our neighbor as ourself. And so we're to love God with all of our heart. And if you look up that word in the Greek, it's cardia. And the heart is our, the center of our physical and spiritual life. It's the fountain of all of our thoughts passions, desires, appetites, purposes, and endeavors. The heart is the seat of our intelligence and understanding and the seat of our will and character. And we're to love God with all of our soul. Well, what is the soul? That's the Greek word suke, where the word psyche comes from. And the Bible says that our soul is the breath of life. It's the vital force that animates, animates our whole being and our whole body. It's the seat of our feelings and our affections and our imaginations and our thoughts. We're to love God with all of our strength. The Greek word is iskus, and that means we're to love God with all of our ability, all of our force, all of our might. We're to love God with all of our mind. The Greek word is dionia. And that means that it's all of our thoughts, our feelings, our understandings, and the way that we think. We're also commanded to love our neighbor as ourself. And the Greek word for neighbor is plasion. And neighbor is any other person. And we all know that. The Bible says where, and speaks to where there are two people concerned that our neighbor is every other person, in other words, all human beings. The purpose in glorifying God is to be brought into this intimate relationship, this love relationship uh, through uh, the life, death, and resurrection of our Lord and Savior and having the glorious Holy Spirit come and live in us. And the purpose that God has in doing that is to conform us to the image of Jesus. 
It says in Romans 8:29, those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. And what is the image of Jesus? What, what did Jesus' life look like? And it was a life of sanctification. It was a life of holiness. It was a life of obedience. It was a life of self-sacrifice. And in Romans 6.22, it says that we've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God to fruit that leads to sanctification and its end is eternal life. In 1 Thessalonians 4.3, God says that this is the will of God your sanctification. And so sanctification is the Greek word hagiosmos, which means to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be holy, to be pure, and for loving obedience. And so the call of our lives is to be glorifying to God, to be created and conformed to the image of Jesus, and to be in this relationship where we're set apart and sanctified and growing in holiness and purity and obedience. As a couple of examples, in Ephesians 1.4, it says, Even as God chose us in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In 1 Peter 1.15, it says, But he who has called you is holy, and so you also are to be holy in all of your conduct. Um, and the great theologian in the 17th century, John Owen, said that if we are not killing sin, then sin is killing us. And so it's important to understand what sin is because we're told to confess it. And, you know, is confession of sin biblical? Well, we see in 1 John 1, 9, it's, the Bible says that if we confess our sins, that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. In James 5.16, it says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. In Proverbs 28.13, King Solomon says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. And so we see very clearly God setting forth the principle that we are to confess our sins. Um, but back for just a second, what is sin? The way I read scripture is sin is anything that misses the mark from loving God with all of our heart, soul, strength, and mind, and loving our neighbor as ourselves. And it's important when I think on my life, what does sin do to us? What impact does it have on us? Sin darkens our hearts. It defiles our hearts and our thoughts. It weakens our spiritual vigor and strength. It deprives us of comfort and peace. It instills fear and anxiety into us. It hardens our heart. It hardens our mind. It steals our time, attention, and strength. And it makes us feel basically fear, shame, and guilt. And I know in my life, sin makes me feel a sense of separation from God. And so that brings us to the great mystery of what does confession mean? And it's the Greek word homologeo, and it means to say the same thing as God, to be in agreement with God, 
to declare, to concede. We know that, uh, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. We know that we are forgiven and saved because of his life, death, and resurrection and the shedding of his blood. So what is the purpose of confession? And you see from the verses that we just read that the purpose of confession is forgiveness. Uh, when, when we sin against each other, we bring disunity into relationships with each other and with the body. When we sin against God, we bring a sense of disunity into our relationship with God. And so there's forgiveness needed. There's healing needed. There's cleansing needed. There's restoration needed. And those are all the things that are promised when we partake in this great mystery of the confession of sins. And so God has done everything for us through Jesus, and he wants so much for us to be in this love relationship and bless us and transform us for his glory in our good. And so I want to say confession has to be coupled with repentance. All right. Otherwise, it's a waste of time and you're actually potentially sinning by the act of confession. When David confessed, he said he was in anguish over his sin, that his sin was always before his face. And so confession and repentance are two sides of the same coin. All right. There's confession of sin, but repentance is the Greek word metanoia. And that means to change your mind. It means literally to turn around and go in a different direction. And if sin is in disagreement with God, then repentance means to turn around, to change our mind and go in the direction that is in agreement with God. And so there always has to be confession accompanied by repentance. It's truly a gift where we bring what's in the dark. We bring it out of the dark into the light. When we've sinned against each other, we're not to just sweep that under the table. Uh, It creates disunity within relationships. It creates grudges. It creates bitterness. It creates anger. It creates hurt and disappointment. When we have sinned against each other, we're to come to each other in humility and love and confess it to each other. Again, not to be judged or condemned, but so that we can receive forgiveness, so that there can be healing in the relationship, so there can be restoration in the relationship and unity back in the body. I encourage us all to do both parts. Have your private time with God where you're asking God to to search you and show you where you're missing the mark in loving him with your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Ask him to show you where you're not loving your neighbor as yourself. And then repent. Go and do things differently. If you have grudges against people, if you're thinking ill, don't do that. Go and confess that and ask for forgiveness and humble yourself and receive the cleansing and restorative work by the power of the Holy Spirit. There's so much there, and there's so much there that... Um... I wish I knew um, as a child. Um, one, one thing, I guess, where, where I want to pick up on that, that I thought Eric explained very, very well I told him. I told him after he found out, like I think you put me out of a job this Sunday. Like I don't really know what else I need to say, but um, just just to emphasize um, a few things here: um, the idea that confession has to be paired with repentance. Um, I think, in a nutshell, maybe that is is what I didn't understand. Um, 
about my, my relationship with God. Um, I think about confession as being kind of the act. It's, it's, the, um, it's, more, it's more in your mind. It's, it's more of a decision that I'm going to confess this sin, whether it's to God or to somebody else. Um, but repentance is in the heart, right? Repentance is, is a posture of your heart. Um, and like, like he explained, what repentance literally means, the word repentance, it is to turn away. And, and I think about my, my, my sin and the sinful nature and who I am apart from Christ. And, and what scripture calls us to do is to turn 180 degrees away from that and run as fast as you can in the other direction. That's what it means to repent. And so when I was confessing um, these sins, it was kind of like, if, you, if we go back to this Etch-a-Sketch idea, like I'm just shaking the Etch-a-Sketch but I'm not repenting, right? I'm just staying exactly where I was. Um, and, and then it's just sort of this daily, in, in a way, almost like an animal sacrifice type of mindset where I'm just constantly trying to cover up for my sin, but um, I'm not, I don't have a heart of repentance. Um, and, and I think part of what I was missing in all of that as well is just that confession and repentance, this is meant to be this beautiful, redemptive, transformative, restorative part of our relationship with God. Um, and I think many of us maybe see it as a heavy thing and a difficult thing just because of that misunderstanding of our relationship with God. And I want to just talk for a minute about what I think is a very foundational idea and a very easy thing for us to talk about and think about. Um, but again, do we live in this way? Do we understand this to its core? And it's just the simple truth that the cross was once and for all, right? It was once and for all, for all time, um, I want to read this from Hebrews 7. We're going to spend a little bit of time in Hebrews. Um, it says, Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for them sins once and for all when he offered himself. Um, I love the book of Hebrews, and one of the reasons why is because I have a very vivid memory of my grandpa reading. I believe this was part of it, but a long chunk of Hebrews. We have a, our family meets, um, our, they, they meet, I live over here now, but they meet on Sunday nights, and they, they go through um, just a Bible study and just praying with one another. But I remember him reading Hebrews, um, a main chunk of it, and him just becoming so moved, and he became very emotional and I was so confused by it because I didn't quite understand what was even happening in Hebrews. I was, he was talking about deck and like some crazy stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know what's going on. Um, but this book, Hebrews, was written to the, a Jewish audience, and they would have understood very deeply and very clearly the idea of a priest. Um, because before Jesus, I actually talked about this a little bit um, last time I, I spoke, but... Um, this was how people were forgiven of their sins. It was through a priest. Um, before Jesus was in the picture, before he gave himself as a sacrifice, there really was a daily um, offering of a sacrifice to atone for everybody's sin. Um, and so the priest goes into the temple, he, and he offers an animal as a sacrifice because the animal's blood is considered innocent. It's considered pure. The animal has not sinned. And so we needed to have this blood shed for the sins. And so the priest goes into the temple, and he, he offers an animal as a sacrifice to atone for the sins of himself and then to atone for the sins of his people. Um, and so what Hebrews does, the, pretty much the, the, the kind of the premise of this whole book is it paints this picture that Jesus is our priest. Jesus is our high priest. 
And he was set apart. He was holy. He was blameless. He lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross and his blood was shed, uh, it was once and for all. And it was for us. Um, you know, and that's what I, I think that took me so long to understand. That God loves you so much that he brought his son down onto this earth and he died. He, he died. He lived a perfect life, sinless, holy, and blameless. And he was crucified by us so that our sins could be atoned for. And it was forever. It was once and for all. And so this completely changes confession, right? Because this is not a basis for our salvation. This is not how we accept his grace. There is nothing that we can do apart from accepting the gift of grace that is in Jesus Christ that can affect our standing with him, that can affect our standing with our sin. Um, It says that his blood washes away our sin. And there's this picture of just us being clothed with Jesus. I think it's in that song, um, Lord, I Need You, that Holiness is, is Christ within me. When we pray in Jesus' name, the reason why we do that, when we say, I pray this in Jesus' name, is because when we do that, God is literally hearing the prayer of Jesus when we do that. We are covered by him, and when God is going to look at us on judgment day, and we have to account for our life, he's not going to see our sin. He's going to see the righteousness of Jesus. Um, and that's just so powerful. Um, and so, as Eric said, it, it, I guess it begs the question of, of why do we confess um, if it's not, to, if it's not to, to, to be saved, right? Um, a little bit later in Hebrews in chapter 10, it says this, but our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being sanctified. Um, And I think it's that last part there that is the key in all this. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being sanctified. Um, That's kind of what this series called Change. We could have called it Sanctified. It's it's, it's really the same word. Um, And as Eric said, sanctification, it means to be set apart. It means to be made more like Jesus. It means we're no longer living for ourselves but we're living now a life of self-sacrifice so that instead of being a slave to our flesh and to our selfishness, we can be a slave to righteousness. Um, That's what it means to pick up your cross and follow me when Jesus says that. It means we're no longer living for our own desires, but we're living through the power of Jesus to reflect God to the world. We are his image bearers. Um, To love your neighbor as yourself. I believe it was, it was cut out. We had to edit some of it. But um, Eric talked about your neighbor is just anybody who's not yourself. And Jesus' disciples asked Jesus when he was on earth. They, they, they asked a question that I think we all would have asked him. Like, what's the greatest commandment? Like, what, if, if we're going to do one thing, what's the most important thing? And he says two things um, in Matthew. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That, you know, and, and I, this is paraphrasing, but essentially what Jesus is saying, like, if you remember one thing that I'm telling you to his disciples, if you remember anything, it's love. And I, it, it, it burdens me and it saddens me, honestly, that I think in our culture, we don't emphasize that enough. And sometimes maybe it's just the way culture and society talks about love, that we have, a, we have almost like a reaction to like love, like whether it's like love is like a hippie thing or like you know, we're all snowflakes kind of love, things like that, that we kind of have this adverse reaction to. This is the greatest commandment we were given, right? This is the most important thing that we can do. 
to love your neighbor as yourself, to be a person of love, of joy, of peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And I just look at myself and I just ask a question. Are these the reflection of my heart? Am I living this way? Is this the posture of who I am? Am I a reflection of the fruits of the Spirit? I just want to read those again. I think we all grew up, we probably all sang a song about the fruits of the Spirit at some point, and we can rattle these off like, like it's nothing. Um, but do we, do, we, do we take the time to, to ask ourselves, if the light of the world is living within me, is this what I look like to the world? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. We don't talk about gentleness very much. That's, we're, we're called to be gentle with those around us. Self-control. I, I wonder sometimes that we live with a mindset of, of, of cheap grace, um, meaning that you know, the, the, the gift of grace that we were given, it's free, right? It doesn't require much of us to accept it. And so the idea of cheap grace is like, well, that's cool. That's, that's a free gift I'm going to take, and then I'm just going to kind of continue living out with my life. Um, God's gift of grace came at a high cost. And it calls us to live a completely different life. It says that when we accept Christ, we are new creations, right? The old is gone and the new has come. Um, Read these words with me from Romans chapter 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death. But the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. Hallelujah. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But Christ, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives you life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living within you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit lives within you. I, I, I just wonder, um, sometimes we, we, we almost give ourselves loopholes, I think, with, with the fruits of the Spirit. We say, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live in this way to my family, to my friends, maybe even to strangers, um, but not to this person, right? Not to this leader, not to this person who I disagree with their worldview. And we kind of like, we're okay with that in little parts of ourselves. Um, confession, what it means, and being sanctified, it is saying that I want to wage war against those things. I want to, I am in, it says in Psalms that Peter, um, excuse me, I'm, um, David says, I'm in anguish over my sin. Are we in anguish over the ways that we are not living this out? Are we in anguish of the things in our hearts that are keeping us from having this relationship with the Lord? Um, because if we are, then we cannot defeat that on our own. We don't have the power to conquer that on our own. And it's only through the power of the cross that we're set free from it. And to me, that's the beauty of the promise in 1 John 1, 9. Right? When we come to God and we confess our sin to him, he is faithful to forgive us, to purify us from our unrighteousness. And I just love this picture. It's like when we bring this, these things that are maybe kept in darkness and we bring it into the light to expose it, there's no condemnation from our Father. 
And instead, it's this picture of the prodigal son coming home. And he looks at you and he says, this is my child who I love. This is my son. This is my daughter. And I just want to welcome you back home. I want to welcome you back into this relationship with me. There's no guilt. There's no shame. He looks at you and he says, I love you. And we're forgiven by the power of Jesus. And that is the power of confession. It's not our salvation. It's a choice that we get to make to say, I want to be in relationship with my father and I want to be set free from my sin. The ways in which my heart um, is still tempted, the ways in which my heart still falls short of what I'm called to be as a Christian, um, as a follower of Jesus, I want to repent from that and I want to run in the other direction and I want to be set free. Um, That's what we do when we confess. That's what we do when we fast. That's what we do when we meditate on the word. We're, We're being sanctified day after day. We're slowly becoming more and more like our father in heaven. And so I just want to end um, actually by practicing a little bit what we did last week of of meditation. Um, And I intentionally left this. It's a little bit of a longer verse. I I left it off the screen intentionally so that um, we can really just focus on the words and listen to how the Holy Spirit would use these words. Um, And kind of like we did last week, I want to encourage you just to um, maybe sit up on the edge of your seat because I think we... There's a lot of distractions that Davis talked about growing up, like the pastor gives a long prayer and it's nap time, right? Um, so I want us to really intentionally um, ask the Lord to use this to speak to us. So if you would, why don't you just kind of sit up and close your eyes and bow your heads um, and let's just, let's just meditate on this. This is from Galatians chapter three. Um, and then I'm actually gonna pass it back to Eric who's gonna lead us in a prayer. So this is what it says. Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For you died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you will share in all his glory. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an adulterer, worshiping the things of this world. Because of, sin, because of these sins, the anger of God is coming. You used to do these things when your life was still a part of this world, but now is the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. In this new life, it doesn't matter if you are a Jew or a Gentile, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbaric, uncivilized, slave or free. Christ is all that matters, and he lives in all of us. Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace and always be thankful. I'm just going to invite you to just continue to close your eyes. Um, and Eric's going to lead us in a, in a prayer of confession. And, and to him, this is, um, 
This is a very personal prayer for him, and so there may be things that apply very specific to you. There may be things that don't apply to you. Um, but I encourage you in those moments maybe where you feel like you need to add in your own prayer. You need to, you need to come to the Lord with your own, um, your own voice and your own words. I just encourage you to do that. Um, so let's just continue to bow our heads, and we're going to pray together um, through Eric. And I just, I'll invite the worship team to come up during this. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, I confess that I have sinned against you and my neighbor. I've not always loved you with all of my heart, soul, strength, and mind. And I've certainly not loved my neighbor as myself. God, I don't always trust you. I seem to often trust in myself, especially when things are difficult. I often go to despair and lack of trust and try to fall back on myself. And my thoughts, I don't always glorify you. I often think of worldly things. I don't worship you as I should. I give my talent and time to seeking corruptible things. I'm often unthankful. I'm often ungrateful. I feel entitled and I take your blessings for granted. I often fail to steward the blessings that you bestow upon me in a way that glorifies you. And you tell me to love your love you with all my heart, soul, strength, and mind, and none of those things do that. And so I confess that those are out of agreement with you, and I confess that I want to be in agreement with you. And I've not loved my neighbor as myself. Uh, I've not always honored my wife and children in ways that bring you glory. I'm selfish. I seek my own way. I desire to be right. I desire the praise of men. When I'm insulted, I feel anger and bitterness towards my neighbor. I'm often disinterested or completely indifferent to the suffering and difficulties of my neighbor. And even worse than that, at times, God, I revel in delight in the suffering of my neighbor. I'm envious, I'm sarcastic, I judge others' sins and justify my own. I don't always honor my parents. I've been rude to my neighbor. I've been hateful, I've been bitter to my neighbor. I'm full of pride at times and selfish. I'm wasteful and not a good steward. I'm short with my children, I'm easily offended. And I'm often self-seeking, desiring to be right more than to be loving. And so, uh, Lord, if the great command is to love you with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and love my neighbor as, I, as myself, I have failed. And I fail daily to do these things. And I confess all of this as sin against you and against my neighbor. And Lord, I do that not because you're going to condemn me, but I do that and I pray for forgiveness and cleansing and healing and restoration. And um, I want to be changed and transformed so that you can be glorified and I can be conformed to the image of Jesus. And so, Father God, I know that you're a good and loving Father. Your promises are true and unchanging. And in response to this confession, I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. I receive it through the blood of Jesus Christ, my Savior. I receive your restoration and healing, and I'm brought back to a good conscience before you. And God, I just pray that you would be glorified in my life and in all the lives of your children. Amen.